Coming up on the Keto Camp Podcast, we welcome Dr. Michael Goron. We do have good studies to show that if your kids do have symptoms of things like ADHD, that taking sugar out could improve those symptoms. So I would say if your kids are having some of those issues, the first line of attack should be you know, addressing diet, reducing sugar, getting more whole foods in there, less processed foods uh, before going on medication. We have access to ancient healing strategies such as ketosis, fasting, and carnivore. And on the Keto Camp Podcast, we are determined to deliver the science to you. We bring in the thought leaders in this space to have extraordinary conversations so you could apply it and change your life. Your body was built to thrive. Your body is capable of healing as long as you identify the interference and remove it. I believe you are a masterpiece because you are a piece of the master. My name is Ben Azadi. I'm the best-selling author of Keto Flex, and I want to thank you for spending part of your day with me. Hey, Keto Camper, Ben Azadi here, host of the Keto Camp Podcast. Thank you so much for pressing play today. We have an awesome interview all about the hidden dangers of sugar. Now, we talk a lot about sugar because we are doing keto here, but some of the research that Dr. Michael is going to share with you from his book, Sugar Proof, it's going to blow your mind. Now, he focuses on children's health and why we want to prevent childhood obesity, diabetes, and other metabolic disorders while we are young, but this is also going to be such a valuable conversation whether you have children or whether you don't. On this episode, we dive deep into his backstory, why he decided to focus on sugar addiction towards children. He has been in the space researching for the last 30 years. You think this guy has some great information to share? He sure does, and I absolutely loved it. We talk about options for babies if they get off breast milk. What are some suitable options that are very similar to breast milk? When moms should start to wean the baby off of breast milk, when is the optimal time? Then we get into calories and why a calorie isn't always a calorie. And something surprising is that 90% of fructose is cleared by the liver. So you're going to hear the difference between sucrose, glucose, fructose, and why we have this epidemic of non-alcoholic fatty liver disease and what to do about it, especially in the conversation of fructose. He's going to give his recommendations for adults and children who have this non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, what to do about it. Then we talk about the 200 different names of sugars, sugars that have calories. And we're not going to go over all 200, but we'll give you some of the top ones to look out for that are claiming to be healthy, but you know, it's just a marketing ploy. Then we'll talk about what's happening to children when they actually follow these steps and consume less sugar, how it helps with their behaviors, with their scores in school, better performance on academic tests, better memory, better sleep, more focus. Don't we want that for our children? Heck, I want that for myself. 
We talk about fructose in Coca-Cola, how much is actually in there. He does the research. He's going to share that. True or false? It's impossible to be addicted to sugar. I brought up a, a few TikTok dietitians and nutritionists that say sugar addiction is just made up. And I asked Dr. Goron what he thought about that. This is an amazing episode. You're going to love it. Make sure you get to the podcast notes to see his book, to see the research that we spoke about, because we did talk about artificial sweeteners as well. And he gave me some studies after the show, and I put that in the podcast notes. Before I bring him on, I do want to take a minute here to get to the Apple Podcast rating and review of the day. This is a five-star review from Anna V14, titled, I'm a big fan of Keto Camp and just signed up for his free master class. I learned so much and love his guests. This is one of the most informative podcasts I listen to on health and keto, and I listen to a lot of podcasts. His book, Keto Flex, is a Bible for how to do keto the right way. Thanks, Ben. Anna, thank you so much. Uh, I'm so grateful you listened to the show. You got my book, Keto Flex. You signed up for the masterclass, which by the way, you could all watch the replay. It took place yesterday or a few days ago, but you could listen, or excuse me, you could watch the replay over at ketosismasterclass.com. But Anna, thank you so much for leaving the show a rating and review. So grateful you're enjoying it. We are committed to getting out two to three episodes every week, and we will continue to do so for the foreseeable future. If you have not left the Keto Camp Podcast a rating and review on your podcast platform, please do so today. It really helps the show grow and reach more people and essentially change more lives. Let's talk about sugar-proofing your life and your children with Dr. Michael Goron. Dr. Michael is a professor of pediatrics at the Children's Hospital of Los Angeles, which is affiliated with the Keck School of Medicine at the University of Southern California. He is the program director for diabetes and obesity at the Sabin Research Institute, and he holds the Dr. Robert C. and Veronica Atkins Endowed Chair in Childhood Obesity and Diabetes. Dr. Goran is a native of Glasgow, Scotland, and received his PhD from the University of Manchester, UK, and has previously served on the Faculty of Medicine at the University of Vermont from 1991 to 1994, the Department of Nutrition Sciences at UAB from 1994 to 1999, and the Department of Preventative Medicine at USC between 1999 and 2018, prior to joining Children's Hospital of Los Angeles. His research has been continuously funded by the National Institutes of Health and other foundations for the past 30 years, and he has published over 350 professional peer-reviewed articles and reviews. Here is Dr. Michael Gorin. All right, Dr. Michael Gorin, thank you for joining me on the Keto Camp Podcast. Yeah, hi, Ben. Lovely to be here. Thanks for having us on. I'm grateful for your new book, your latest book, Sugar Proof, which we're going to get into. Uh, your, your backstory is interesting. I want to start with that before we dive into the book. Why did you decide to focus on sugar? And why did you want to f- focus on addiction towards children, adolescents, and what's going on in the world in that field? Yeah, well, this, this is something that I've been doing my research on pretty much exclusively for the last 30 years. So when we started off, 
trying to understand why chronic diseases of adulthood, uh, when they start in childhood and what triggers them. And so we, we look pretty broadly at first, but when we started looking at the diet uh, of kids today and how it was related to risk for chronic diseases, we kept finding sugar to be a, a recurring factor. So, you know, the, the, at the end of the day, we had we had a lot of very interesting information about sugar and how to how to modify it, and and we wanted to get that out there to the public, and that's where the idea of the book came. So it's really the result of the research. Thirty plus years is a, a long time in the trenches, looking at the research and uh, also being working with patients. All these, all these, all these gray hairs. That... <laughs> that's where it came from. <laughs> And you're, it's so important to start when when somebody's young because, as you know, if somebody is 25 years old, let's say a male adult who's 25 years old and obese, and they all of a sudden go get some lab work done and they have an A1C of like uh, 6.8, and they're, you know, you're diabetic. Well, that didn't happen the last year or two. It typically takes 10 to 15 years. So it was happening when they were a teenager or even younger than that. So to stop that before it even gets to that point, I love that. I love that you focus on that. And for example, type 2 diabetes, right? It used to be called adult onset diabetes and then children were getting it. So what, what were some of the things as you were researching in the very beginning that were just so shocking to you to now to the point where it's very obvious, but in the beginning, what was shocking to you? Yeah, well, you know, I remember our, our first grant on this in 2000 and that was after some of the first reports of increases in youth onset type 2 diabetes and this, you know, this was very surprising at the time uh, because, like you said, it used to be called adult onset. So I think that's and then on top of that, it's fatty liver disease, which is related and is one not even a disease ten years ago. And I think the surprising thing was it really was the recurring finding of sugar being the dietary factor that was related. And you know, this kind of goes against the grain. There's, there's not. You know, I know people like you are, are, you know, shouting this message as loud as you can, but in the medical field, it's not immediately obvious, believe it or not, that dietary sugar was um, a factor for diabetes, and not just for diabetes, but also for cardiovascular risk. I think that's surprising, right, that um, sugar actually is also related to heart disease and now liver disease as well. So it's the recurring finding of sugar being important and its widespread effects throughout the body and that this starts early in life. When you think about babies that are breastfed, right? Let's say a baby's born and they're naturally breastfed, that, that baby's actually in and out of ketosis because it's so efficient at burning down the glucose in, in the, the milk that it'll go in and out of ketosis. So, you know, we're naturally meant to burn fats or birthright, but then Typically, we see babies weaned off and they're given, and you could explain this better than I can, but they're given high sugar formulas, they're snacking all the time, high fructose corn syrup. So we take this natural fat-burning baby and then we just destroy the metabolism and teach it to be reliant on sugar. So why is this happening? What's the problem? Is, it the, is, is the main problem these big food companies that have just done a brilliant job at marketing? And, and what can a parent do? Let's say somebody's listening and they just have a newborn and they're currently breastfeeding, what could be some better options for them as the baby gets off the breast, the best, uh, breast milk? 
Yeah, great question. We could probably answer that one all day long. But um, <laughs> yeah, the food companies are doing a great job at basically hijacking the innate preferences that babies have. Well, another thing to keep in mind is that babies are actually born with a built-in preference for sweetness, uh, which is supposed to be protective from an evolutionary perspective. It's supposed to seek out, help them seek out tasty, you know, tasty good food. Uh, breast milk, which is sweet, and to avoid food that had spoiled. But food companies know that they that babies and kids prefer sweetness, so that's why 80% of kids' foods has some type of added sugars because they know they'll get addicted to it and hooked on it. I think the other thing to keep in mind is uh, the fructose element. Breast milk does have carbohydrate source of lactose, but lactose is built from glucose and galactose, so there's no there's no fructose in natural mother's milk, although we have found some can get into milk from the diet. But for the most part, it's the, it's the introduction of fructose that starts to cause problems, as well as the introduction of added sugar formula. So there are some formula that are not made with lactose that are made from corn syrup solids, which is an entirely glucose-based carbohydrate. So that's problematic, number one. Uh, and then as the earlier the introduction of sugar into the diet, which is really now fructose, because that's not what's in breast milk or most formula, it's the introduction of fructose that starts to cause problems. That, that's interesting. You said that well, breast milk does not have fructose. I knew that especially from your book, you talk about that. But I didn't realize if the mother, so if the mother is eating a diet that's high in fructose, that could actually be passed on to the babies, what you shared? Yeah, we, we did that experiment where we took moms who were breastfeeding and gave them something that we wouldn't recommend, but it was an experiment. So we asked them to consume a large sweetened beverage. And then we just collected breast milk every hour for six hours and measured the changes in the, in the sugars in the breast milk. And what we found was surprising in that the glucose level in breast milk stayed quite level as did the lactose, but fructose increased and stayed increased. Now it wasn't a large amount, uh, but it still increased uh, and was sustained. So that fructose will be then transmitted, passed on to the infant. Hmm. What's the optimal time frame for a mother to wean the baby off of breast milk? Well, the recommendation is six months, but we would recommend longer. I mean, there's studies to demonstrate and it, that the longer the duration of breastfeeding, and it doesn't have to be exclusive breastfeeding. It can even be pumped milk from a bottle. But the longer duration, there are dose response effects on preventing obesity, on promoting brain development. So some of our research, for example, is trying to understand why that is. And we're looking, for example, at how the composition of breast milk changes over the long term. Uh, and, you know, a mother's breast milk at 12 months is very different in composition than it is at one month or six months. So that's kind of interesting because we're also trying to find different elements in breast milk that could be protective factors. That's interesting. So I would continue, extend it if you can. We also showed in another study that 
for mothers who breastfed for more than 12 months, again, it didn't have to be exclusive. Those babies were highly protected from obesity, even if they were consuming high amounts of sugary beverages um, as a toddler. Interesting. Why do you think that is? I don't know, but it's it's basically inspired um, a whole new branch in my of research in my lab. So we're currently looking at that. And one thing we are looking at, just what I mentioned, is the changing composition of mother's milk mm. throughout, especially long term. So one thing we're looking at are these complex sugars in breast milk. So lactose is not the only carbohydrate sugar source in breast milk. They have these other sugars called oligosaccharides which are very interesting because they're basically prebiotics. Mm -hmm. They're not fully metabolized, so they help seed the gut microbiome, for example, and could have beneficial effects that way. That makes sense. So it helps potentially with the diversity of the gut microbiome, which later on in life could protect against obesity or other conditions. You know, personally, my mom, I believe, breastfed me until I was about two years old. And... And then, of course, I, I was a sugar burner after that, addicted to sugar, uh, fast food, and I ate a really poor diet. And I actually ended up obese as an adult, 24 years old, before I turned things around. But it makes me wonder if my mom only, let's say she breastfed me for like three months, I probably would have been a lot worse off based off of uh, what I uh, ended up doing to myself. Uh, so it's fascinating that you would share that. And uh, you also mentioned the difference between how the body breaks down glucose versus fructose. Your book talks about that, how the liver, 90% of fructose is cleared by the liver. Can you talk about the difference in how the body breaks down sucrose versus the glucose, fructose versus glucose? Yeah, and it's a, it's a, it's a clear-cut example of why a calorie isn't always a calorie because sucrose, which is ordinary table sugar, is what we call a disaccharide. That's two sugars joined together. It's a glucose molecule connected to a fructose molecule, both are identical chemically, see six carbon sugars, but they have a different shape. Uh, and that different shape gives them very different properties. So it's the glucose that's used everywhere in the body for energy. It's com- broken down, it's combusted, used for fuel. Whereas pretty much all fructose, almost 90% of fructose is is filtered out by the liver. So remember, the liver's job is to filter things out of the blood that it doesn't want to get to the rest of the body, like alcohol, toxins. And we can include in that list fructose. Mm. So fructose is then taken up by the liver in the same way that alcohol is, and then it's metabolized by the liver in exactly the same way to produce fat. That's why some people have called fructose alcohol without the buzz, (laughs) because metabolically... It's identical. So it's taken up by the liver, converted to fat. So most liver disease used to be alcohol-induced because of that pathway. But now the most common form of liver disease is non-alcoholic. And that non-alcoholic contributor is fructose. And that occurs especially when there's high amounts of fructose coming in. So sometimes when I talk about this, people say, well, then should I not eat fruit because fruit also has fructose as the main sugar, but the research shows that it's dose-dependent. And not only dose-dependent, but dependent on the speed in which it comes in. Mm -hmm. So imagine drinking a big glass of apple juice, which is the juice from three apples, where the sugar is highly concentrated. 
versus eating an apple where it's much less sugar to begin with, you get the fiber, it's slowly released into the body. Under those conditions, it's very different. Some of that fructose can be converted to glucose and used for energy, whereas the big dose, the, 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 the big glug of drinking juice sends a big hit to the liver and the liver just processes it in that way because that's the only thing it knows to do with it. And you mentioned that apple juice has more fructose than even high fructose corn syrup. It's super concentrated. So why doesn't the body want to use fructose as an energy source? Why does it want to have the liver process it? What's, what's the reason behind that? It's a great question. And I think because from an evolutionary perspective, we just weren't consuming a lot of it. Uh, certainly not in high concentrated forms, like in liquid form. So this whole shift we've gone through as a society of what we call liquid sugar is quite new from an evolutionary perspective, other than milk, that milk didn't have the fructose. So, you know, our bodies are just used to getting fructose from fruit where there's not that much of it and it comes with fiber and it's slowly released. There's only one, I mean, think of it this way, there's only one receptor in the, in the gut for absorbing fructose, hmm. which is called GLUT5, but there's, almost, there's over a dozen glucose transporters. So the body's set up to absorb, digest glucose, but not, not the fructose. GLUT5, you said. That's interesting. I didn't yeah. know that. Which is also fascinating because babies aren't even born with that GLUT5 receptor. It only starts to get turned on once they actually start to consume sugar. So this could be the source of a lot of GI problems early on, because if sugar is not absorbed, it will protect the liver, which is good, but then it will disrupt the gut and cause it's not absorbed. So it's fermented in the, in the gut and causes uh, microbiome problems and dysbiosis and all kinds of issues. So that's also problematic. Hey, Keto Camper, I want to just pause for a second and tell you about my favorite drink for metabolic health. On this podcast, we talk about the importance of metabolic health, metabolic flexibility. Well, this is called Good Idea, and it is a great idea if you're trying to reduce blood sugar and keep your insulin levels in a healthy range. It has zero calories, zero sweeteners, and none of the junk ingredients, and it tastes like a lightly sparkling water. I call it a functional sparkling water because it has been clinically tested and shown to reduce blood sugar spikes after a meal. It contains a blend of amino acids and chromium piclinate. Together, they slow gastric emptying and increase insulin sensitivity, allowing a steady release of glucose in the bloodstream where it can be transferred into the cells for fuel. It also contains zinc and potassium as an added benefit. They hooked you all up with a special coupon code. So all you need to do is head over to goodidea.us and apply the coupon code BEN, that is B-E-N, at checkout at goodidea.us. I'm going to drop that link in the podcast notes along with the coupon code. All right, let's get back to this episode. Babies are not born with this GLUT5 receptor for processing fructose, but when they start consuming sugar, then they their body just naturally creates this receptor. So what if they what if a baby, I mean hypothetically, what if a baby never eats sugar? Will they will they be a 20-year-old who has never had sugar and they don't have this GLUT5 transporter? I don't know. That's a good question. 
it'd be hard to measure it because you have to sample the the gut mm-hmm. and take a biopsy of the gut and see if it's there or you can do a, what's called a fructose absorption test so the fructose malabsorption is fairly common so that could be the case where fructose malabsorption is there because the body's just not developed the apparatus it needs to absorb it yeah that makes sense uh, you mentioned yeah, in- a sample of your gut. <laughs> yeah, I want to do that. That's fascinating. Well, what's the test for that? What is it called again? Well, one would be a, a, a biopsy of your gut. You probably don't. I want don't want to do that. No. The, the other would be a fructose malabsorption test, where you basically take a dose of fructose and then you breathe into a bag, and what they're measuring is the hydrogen in your breath that's produced from gut bacteria. In fact, there was a fascinating study done in children where they took kids with unexplained um, GI problems, classic symptoms of a kid, right? Sore tummy, uh, upset tummy. Mom, parents didn't know what it was. Uh, In this particular study, uh, the vast majority of those kids actually had fructose malabsorption. Hmm. And when they eliminated sugar or reduced it, the symptoms went away. Wow. There you go. Parents listening. It might be that if your kid's having uh, stomach issues, reduce their sugar, especially high fructose corn syrup and fructose. Right, Doc? Yeah. On the, on the same topic, because you mentioned fatty liver disease, I get a lot of these questions on my various channels and I have non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. You know, What can I do? What would be your recommendation for either an adult or a, a child who has non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, not medical advice, but what would be some things? Would you have them eliminate all fructose, maybe do some other things, but what would be a recommendation for them? Yeah, I mean, it's a great question. So there's pretty good studies to show that sugar elimination, there's two studies that show drastic sugar elimination can rapidly uh, deplete the liver of its fat quite quickly as well, within seven to eight days. Wow. That's one study that's been done. That's a pretty drastic um, full-on elimination of sugar. And that's why we have our seven-day no-added sugar challenges designed. That's one of the reasons why we do that. Not to say kids can never have sugar again, but just to kind of reset everything, to get rid of any fat that was building up in the liver and to reset the taste preferences. And then our other studies show that uh, weight loss can also be good. We're just about to publish a paper showing that it turns out for small amounts of sugar reduction, you don't get a big effect on the liver. You really need to have weight loss uh, as part of that as well. That's fascinating. Uh, Okay. So you mentioned that challenge. How often do you do it? Where can they find out about it? So it's in the book. The, the book you just showed, Sugar Proof, we have in there a step-by-step plan to eliminate for a week added sugars. And we do we, we recommend that be done periodically, like the ideal time would be, let's say, after the holidays. Yeah. <laughs> Not in the middle of the holidays. Right. Uh, but after the holidays, if, if, if you think sugar has gotten out of hand and you want to just kind of get it back on track, it's a good way, like I said, to get fat out of the liver if there was any there, but also just to reset taste preferences. So kids and adults get so amped up 
on sugar, we just begin to crave it more and more, like you said, an addiction. And a way to dampen that down is just to go off it temporarily, at least for for seven days. We've done this with hundreds of families, with kids. And yeah, it can be very difficult for the first few days because kids are used to what they're eating. But in most cases, we see pretty drastic benefits. I love that idea. Do it with the family. Maybe when this, when January comes around, or maybe just do it right now before the holidays. But I, I love that idea. I think it's great. How many different names are there for caloric sugars? Over 200. That's crazy. I think the current count is about 260 or 270 or something, which is absolutely bananas. <laughs> and, you know, what, what's happening is food companies are, A, developing healthy-sounding names for sugar, like organic brown rice syrup or evaporated cane juice. Agave nectar. Agave nectar, uh, you name it, or, or, or any fruit concentrate. I mean, you, you've mentioned high fructose corn syrup a few times. Most people are onto that, but it's the fruit juice concentrates and fruit sugars that are now becoming very problematic because they have such a healthy name. But like you also said, some of them, some of the fruit sugars can have even more fructose and high fructose corn syrup. Mm-hmm. So, so Capri Sun, Gatorade, these are like fake healthy drinks, if you will. Yeah, yeah, just kind of chemically loaded hydration. So a lot of kids, and it's getting worse, I think, are struggling with ADHD, ADD, and they're being prescribed you know, medication to calm them down, Ritalin, et cetera. Can many of these cases be a result of the, the drinks they're drinking, the foods that they're eating? The research on that is not clear in terms of causing that effect. We don't have good studies on that, but we do have good studies to show that if your kids do have symptoms of things like ADHD, that taking sugar out could improve those symptoms. So I would say if your kids are having some of those issues, the first line of attack should be you know, addressing diet, reducing sugar, getting more whole foods in there, less processed foods uh, before going on medication. That would be my suggestion. I love that suggestion. It's, it's a natural suggestion. And, and why not try that first? Can you explain to the parents listening what's happening to a kid, a child who's eating every two to three hours, drinking Capri Sun, drinking Gatorade, eating sugar? What's happening to their brain? What's happening to their body? What's happening to their ability to focus and, and live their life? Yeah, there's pretty widespread effects at that level, which we talk about uh, in the book. In fact, our chapter is called Smarter Without Sugar. We called it that because that's what the evidence tells us. And there's there's a variety of different studies from around the world showing that kids actually uh, can perform better on academic test scores, on standardized test scores, uh, better memory, better focus, uh, sleep better uh, on, on less sugar. And those are some of the things we've seen with our seven-day no-added sugar challenge, so just taking it out for seven days. We've had kids who, at the beginning, had problems focusing in school mid-morning, but then drastically turned things around just by taking out added sugars uh, for a week. And once 
kids feel that improvement, once parents see that improvement, they're much more likely to stick, not necessarily without sugars completely, but they're more likely to be compelled to reduce sugar because they've seen those different effects. That's great. And now that we discussed sugar, there's also sugar substitutes, these artificial sweeteners. I talk a lot about them because it's very popular in the keto space and people want shortcuts and they want these drinks that are keto-friendly and bars that are keto-friendly, but I always educate them on the artificial sweetener. So what are the worst artificial sweeteners you've seen? And then what are maybe some better natural substitutes? Yeah, that's a great question. I'm curious to know what your opinion is on on these sweeteners because this is where I'm seeing more and more of these products in in like uh, keto products that, that are marketed without sugar, which you know all natural, no added sugars, and many of those products are still highly processed with different types of chemical additives, different sweeteners. You know, the jury's still out there. Certainly the aspartames and the sucralose, the, the, the classic ones, research is showing that they have their own detrimental adverse effects in the body. My colleague just put out a study showing that sucralose uh, lit up the brain reward areas much higher than regular sugar and led to subsequently more food intake. And that's what the re- research is showing that at the time when you're eating that that uh, no sugar bar or whatever. Yes, it's less calories and less sugar, but what the research shows that throughout the day, you end up eating, you actually end up eating more calories. Maybe you're more likely to eat two no sugar cookies instead of one, and, and you're still craving sweetness throughout the day. And that's what the research is now showing. There's less, you know, I'm seeing a lot of products with stevia and monk fruit, which are marketed as natural, which they are derived from natural products. They don't have as much research on them in terms of how they're affecting uh, the body. But I, I think they're still a little potentially very problematic um, in the sense that they, they may not spike your blood glucose, but they may result in glucose dips and end up causing you to eat more from those hypoglycemic dips. Is that because of a, an insulin response is what you were saying? Yeah, it could be an insulin response. It could be activation of these sweet... These compounds are very powerful activators of sweet taste receptors. Mm-hmm. And it turns out we have these t- sweet taste receptors you know, throughout the body, not just in the brain. So I don't know to answer your question, what's, which one? I mean, I think... I don't have a favorite. I don't have a preferred one at the moment. Personally, I'm not a big fan of the taste either of uh, most of these compounds. Taste-wise, I think allulose is, has a very good taste profile. Mm-hmm. Wish, we, wish we had more research on allulose. It, it's not been very well studied. It's an interesting molecule. It's almost identical to fructose, but it's not absorbed. Interesting. Yeah, and I remember I learned from you that sucralose is chemically sucrose with with uh, chlorine, uh, which is an interesting structure, huh? Yeah, I mean it's it's exactly that. It's chlorinated sugar, so mm, delicious. Yeah, <laughs> but it you know all the, it, it's just adding three chlorine residues onto a sugar molecule makes it six hundred times sweeter, and makes it not absorbed. So 
sweetness without calories, perfect solution, at least for the food industry. So yeah, I have the same thought process as you. I'm probably a little bit more lenient towards monk fruit and stevia and maybe xylitol and um, allulose. I've kind of, I've tested those personally with like a CGM and those worked fine with me. But I've seen also some people trade a sugar addiction for a monk food addiction. And that's not, you know, you don't want to trade one addiction for the other. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the issue that we're we're not really addressing sweetness. That's something that it's it's sweetness that we're craving, really. And that's probably why those studies show that you end up eating more calories and more sugar throughout the day. So I think the answer is just to try and reduce sweetness. So I mean what I what we tell parents is if you're baking cookies or treats with your kids this weekend for Halloween, take the recipe and cut the sugar by a third or maybe even a half. And you know, easily by with a 30% cut, you'll still have a great product and you can probably over time get that to 50%. And in fact, I would argue that it will taste better um, because many recipes and many products today are just so sweet mm-hmm. that because sweetness is such a powerful taste receptor, it basically overwhelms the other tastes that might be in there. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I don't like sucralose, aspartame, sulfame, potassium, all these harsh artificial sweeteners. So I'm with you. I get a lot of companies who reach out to me and they're like, hey, we want you to try our keto product. We want to send this to you. And of course, I look at their ingredients and they typically have these artificial sweeteners. And I tell them, it's just not aligned with, with what I want to teach and, and share. Uh, I've seen a lot of studies on PubMed on what sucralose specifically, Splenda, what it does to disrupt the gut. I remember a study on PubMed that was tracking where sucralose ends up after a person consumes it. And they only could account for like 96.7%. So they were not sure where the other 3.3% was going. I don't know where it's going. It's like, that's a mystery. Uh, I want to see the study. You referenced your friend, a colleague has a study about lighting up the brain even more than sugar. Where can I find that? Yeah, that was just published this month in um, JAMA Network Online. I can I can share that with you. Yeah, can you send that to me and I'll, I'll include it in the show notes. I want to look at it myself and I'll include it here too. Yeah, it's a very nice paper by my colleague Katie Page. Gave adults in random order a drink with either sucrose or sucralose, and measured with functional MRI areas of the brain that were activated, and they they showed greater brain reward area activation after sucralose. But that and that was more. Was interesting was that was more pronounced in women, and in people who were overweight. Interesting. Yeah, I want to see that. So send that over to me. I, I remember you sharing as I was interviewing or as I was getting ready for the interview. You were sharing about you were giving a lecture at a conference, and somebody stood up and kind of uh, challenged what you were sharing, and they were actually from the food and beverage industry. Could you share that story? Sure. Yeah. Uh, actually, ironically, that was a lecture about 10 years ago at the University of Georgia. This, I just gave another seminar to the University of Georgia this morning, actually. Oh, wow. That's funny. <laughs> Nobody stood up, but it was by on Zoom, so I don't know. Right. Um, but that, that 10 years ago was right after we published a paper. We had a very simple question. This was early on the sugar studies. We just wanted to know what's in Coca-Cola. 
What are the sugars that are in Coca-Cola or Capri Sun, as you've mentioned? Products that say high fructose corn syrup, we don't actually know what that is. We know it's a mixture of fructose and glucose, but we don't actually know the ratio of fructose to glucose. The food industry says it's marginally more fructose than glucose. We didn't know, so we bought samples. We went to the supermarket, the gas station, movie theaters, we got all kinds of drinks uh, from different venues, sent them off in a blinded fashion to be analyzed, just asking how much fructose is actually in these drinks. And it came back with the answer, it's a little variable, but it was about 60 to 65% of the sugars were uh, fructose. And that's what I presented 10 years ago. We published this. Food industry went berserk. They stood up at this lecture and told me the research was invalid, that I should retract. I had a phone call from somebody asking me to retract the paper. And I said, that's not how it works. <laughs> uh, this is peer reviewed. You're welcome to do your own study and challenge it. They never did. Uh, we repeated it, got very similar answer. And now they're acknowledging that it's, it's more than marginally more fructose. And you know, going from 55% fructose to 60 or 65%, it doesn't sound like a lot, but from the body's perspective, that is tipping the balance towards more fructose. And it's the more fructose that causes a lot of problems in the body. Mm. That's interesting. So that didn't happen to you today during your lecture? Not that I know of, not yet. <laughs> you might get an email later. Yeah, I may, I may. I'll check my blogs, yeah. You know, I'm on TikTok and there's a lot of... Um, have you heard of TikTok, Doc? I, I'm on TikTok too. I'm trying to break through on TikTok. I haven't... Uh, we've posted a few things on there. So maybe you can help me get some traction on TikTok. Yeah, for sure. I, I could help you get... We're about to hit 150K today, uh, followers on there. Oh, wonderful. But the reason I, I brought up TikTok, I see a lot of dietitians and nutritionists on there. And a lot, and here's a clip, we could post this clip on, on TikTok right now or when it comes out. A lot of dietitians and nutritionists on TikTok say it's actually impossible to be addicted to sugar. It's a made up thing. What would you say to that? I'd say that's, that, that's ridiculous. I mean, I, I think that that argument just gets bogged down in the word addiction. And so, you know, in the book, we talk about this and we, we just break it down and say, okay, what are the criteria for addiction? And if you look at the criteria for addiction, you know, withdrawal, difficult to give up, you have side effects if you do give it up. I mean, if you look at all of the official criteria for addiction, they stand true for sugar. And so I don't know if I want to call it an addiction or not, but that's just another argument. But the fact of the matter is, those criteria for addictions are there for sugar. So I don't know why that makes no sense to me, why qualified professional dietitians would say that. What's your take on it? Yeah, I mean, I used to be addicted to sugar. So yes, it's addictive. I was addicted for 20 plus years of my life. I wanted more. I wanted more. I tried to get off. I had symptoms. I wanted more. So that qualifies as an addiction. I lived it myself. Yeah, yeah. that's the criteria. I remember Dr. Jason Fung sharing several years ago, I think it was Dr. Fung, it might have been Gary Tops, one of them, sharing that about 40% of the funding for the Academy of Dietetics and, and Nutrition comes from these big food companies, right? So 
And you think about these nutritionists and dietitians, not all, but they have been learning from a system that is already corrupt. So I think that's part of it. Plus they focus on calories in versus calories out, which we know Coca-Cola had a big hand in that. So I think that's playing a role here. Definitely going on in the background, yeah. Sometimes at night, right before bed, my mind is just racing. I have problems that I need to solve, ideas I want to put into action, content I want to create. And I know you can relate. The mind just keeps racing, but I want it to calm down for some sleep, quality sleep. One of the things that I did to really overcome the mind racing at night is two things. Number one, something called a mental dump. It's not as gross as it sounds. I would just write down on a piece of paper what's on my mind. So if it's a problem, I'll write it down. If it's an idea, I'll write it down. I'll take it from the mind, from the brain, to a piece of paper. And then I combine that with the second solution, which is taking a high-quality magnesium supplement. And they're not all the same. For me, it's magnesium breakthrough. And since I have implemented mag breakthrough, now I have no problem falling asleep. These two solutions work really, really well. Unlike other magnesium supplements that might be giving you maybe one to two forms of magnesium, Mag Breakthrough contains all seven forms of magnesium designed to help calm your mind, help you fall asleep, stay asleep, and wake up refreshed. Over 75% of the population is magnesium deficient. And what most people don't know is that even when they're taking a magnesium supplement, they could still be deficient because they're not getting all seven forms. This is where Mag Breakthrough is the ultimate way to give your body all seven forms in one supplement. For an exclusive offer to all Keto Camp Academy listeners, head over to magbreakthrough.com slash ketocamp and use the coupon code KETOCAMP10 at checkout. You'll save 10% off this all-natural, full-spectrum magnesium supplement. We'll drop the link down below in the podcast notes. That is magbreakthrough.com slash ketocamp, and the coupon code is ketocamp10. So you, you have this book, Sugar Proof. It's, uh, the subtitle is The Hidden Dangers of Sugar That Are Putting Your Child's Health at Risk and What You Can Do About It. What would somebody who reads this book, which I highly endorse... What would be the number one takeaway that somebody that you want somebody to get from reading this book? Yes, I think it's that sugar can have broad effects on the body, that kids are more vulnerable to those effects, uh, that this effect starts early, and that you don't need to you know, totally eradicate sugar out of the diet. It's not like a drastic thing. You can make small cuts here and there. You can make a lot of gradual changes, a lot of adjustments, because we don't need all the sugar. I think we've basically been overtaken, been hijacked by by food companies and, and the food environment. I think there's just a lot of small adjustments that you can make to try to move towards reducing sugar. And that anything you can do towards eliminating some sugar is going to go a long way. And the more you can, the better, but you have to start somewhere. I love your approach because it is not a cold turkey approach, which I've seen make it very difficult. It's a it's a transitional approach of just getting better each day, each week, et cetera, which is a philosophy that I follow. So I love that. Where, where can they go get the book? Yeah, well, the book is available everywhere books are sold. So if you're getting to bookstores, they should have it. If not, have them order it, uh, please. If not, you can get it online. It's on sale on Amazon for $16. 
or any other online bookseller. You can get the Kindle version or the audio version also. We'll put all those links down below. What if you're not a parent or don't plan on being a parent? Should you still read the book? Totally, yeah. I, I mean, I think we've, we've received that feedback that this is just not, not just for kids, right? I, mean, I think it's relevant to whether you have kids or not. We've, you know, grandparents are interested in the book to help teach their kids and their grandkids. But this issue is not just affecting kids. We wrote the book because we think kids are more vulnerable because of the long-term effects and because we can have a bigger impact long-term, but for sure, uh, you don't have to have kids to benefit from reducing sugar. This would be a great gift to, this episode is going to release right before the holidays. So this would be a great gift to purchase for somebody you know who recently had a, a baby or they're expecting. Buy this gift for them. What a great gift that you could bless them and their, their future family. Uh, I know I'm going to do the same for my friends that have, have children. Where else can they go check you out, Doc? Yeah, we are on Instagram and Facebook with the handle that you can see here. Yep, at Sugarproof Kids. Yeah, right there. <laughs> That's where we are on Instagram or Facebook, online, sugarproofkids.com. On, on the website, we have all the, a lot more information. We have recipes that we're releasing every week, new recipes. There's 40 in the book, but we've probably released another 40 in the last year, including... Coming up soon, I think, uh, if this is released before Thanksgiving, we have our no-bake, no-added-sugar pumpkin pie. Mm. So we just did a live demo of cooking that on Instagram, if you want to check it out. But it has no added sugars. It's also paleo, vegan, high-protein, high-fiber, no-added-sugars. It's got about half the sugar of a regular pumpkin pie and twice the fiber and much more protein as well. So this is what we're trying to do is take take a popular everyday item, pumpkin pie. Thanksgiving would not be the same without pumpkin pie. <laughs> How can we do that in a fun, healthy way by reducing sugars and making it more nutrient-dense? So that's kind of the challenge that we give ourselves, mm -hmm. is making everyday items uh, just as tasty, if not more tasty, uh, but much more nutrient-dense without any sweeteners, without any added sugars. And mostly in that case, we're using dates as the sweetener, for example, mm -hmm. or the natural sugars in the pumpkin. And that is a benefit because you get all the fiber and the other nutrients and you just don't use as much of it. Uh, that sounds delicious. We'll, we'll put links for your website and your social media in the notes. So go, go check them out. I love that you have increased the protein with it. We didn't really discuss it, but that's something that I have put in my protocol. When somebody tells me, hey, Ben, you know, I'm struggling to lower my carbs enough to get into ketosis, or I have been getting into ketosis, I am in ketosis, but I'm struggling with cravings, increase the protein. Uh, protein is so satiating. As you know, it activates uh, cholecystokinin, peptide YY, leptin. So protein is your best friend if you have a sugar craving or sugar addiction. So that's awesome. Or, and fiber. I and mean, fiber, so yep. I think the, the, the nutrient mix is all important. So, you know, we have a lot of topics on breakfast, for example, which is typically a high-sugar meal. Mm -hmm. um, I just ran an experiment that I published on my Instagram where I – because I, I like oat milk, and a lot of people say, oh, oat milk is, gives you such a big glucose spike. 
uh, and that's true. But what I did was I, on one day had oat milk and the next day I had oat milk smoothie with protein and fiber and there was no glucose spike whatsoever. Interesting. How did you test? Was it a CGM or a finger prick? Uh, CGM. Awesome. That's interesting data. So by adding the fat and the protein to the oat milk, it didn't give you a spike in glucose is what you're saying. Not at all. No. So, and I think we, you know, we can do this throughout the day. Think of breakfast for kids, you know, what you put on your pancakes, what you put on your toast, you can really mitigate the glucose spikes Mm -hmm. by these nutrient mixes. I love that. Whenever parents ask me like, what, what should I give my kid for breakfast? I say protein, fat, and fiber. (laughs) The PFF formula, whatever you can do, protein, fat, and fiber, ideally from whole foods, and they're going to be satisfied and you're going to have a happy kid. So to your point. Yeah. In fact, we have we have a supplement to the book. We can come up with a special deal if you want, some type of giveaway. Let's do it. We have a supplement of 101 uh, sugar-proof breakfast ideas with no added sugar. And a lot of them are just high-fiber, high-protein mixes. Do you sell that or do you give it away as a free guide? Uh, we give it away. So we can, for example, if people buy the book as a result of seeing this, we can give away that breakfast guide. Cool. So, okay. So buy the book, whether it's Amazon or wherever, take a screenshot and then email it to you. Is that what you want to do? Yeah. Mm-hmm. What's your email? Hello at sugarproofkids.com. Hello at sugarproofkids.com with your screenshot. They'll reply with that free 101 recipes. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. Thank you for doing that. Last question for you is what's next for you? Are you going to write a new book or do more lectures? Like what are you focusing on for 2022? Yeah, we're not quite, uh, we, we're thinking about maybe a recipe book, but we're still working on promoting the book. You know, for me, the research, I just got a huge new center funded. Uh, we got a major new grant from the NIH to study disparities. I think we need more work to understand why Latinos and Blacks and Native Americans are the ones who have the highest rates of obesity, diabetes, fatty liver. So all these issues we're talking about related to diet are much more pronounced among those segments of the population. So this new center is going to be a regional center to do more research on this and to come up with Latino-specific strategies, protocols, and interventions to address this problem. That's very cool. So solving this problem is not going to be a one-size-fits-all, mm-hmm. right? We have to find solutions that are going to work and be effective for different segments of the population. That's what we're doing on the research side. On the book side, we're just going to continue developing more recipes and try to get more followers and try to shift the needle on sugar. I love it. It's it's so important. I love that you're focusing on th- those different categories and, and backgrounds because you're right. There's no cookie cutter approach to health. I want to acknowledge you for your work 30 plus years in the field, taking arrows from the food and beverage industry, big pharma, Frank and food companies coming after you, but you're still going strong. Everybody go get the book. It's called Sugar Proof. We'll put links down below. We'll go follow them on social media. And uh, I look forward to having more conversations with you, Doc. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Ben, thank you so much for all you're doing as well, not just for having us on, but for your tireless efforts uh, here to to help shift uh, people towards healthy nutrition. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. Look, this is one of those episodes that you want to share 
with all your friends and family members and coworkers that have children. This could be a game changer. I believe if we could change the health of our children, we'll change the health of the world and the future. The children are the future, and it starts really early. So just copy and paste the link, post it in a text message, and say, I think you'd like this episode on the Keto Camp Podcast. Also, go get his book, Sugar Proof. The hidden dangers of sugar that you are putting your child's health at risk and what you can do. We dropped a link for that down below. We have detailed notes in the podcast notes. We have all the studies we mentioned. All the references can be found down below. So go check that out and go follow his Instagram and Twitter and LinkedIn. We put all that down below along with his email and his website as well. Thank you so much for listening to the entire episode of the Keto Camp Podcast. Have an amazing weekend. Thanks so much for listening. I'll see you on the next episode. This podcast is for information purposes only. Statements and views expressed on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Benazadi, disclaim responsibility from any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own. And this podcast does not accept responsibility of statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or non-direct interest in products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.